Christmas is all about the anticipation of joy, which is exciting. It's an exciting time, you know, from decorating the tree that you get excited about or hanging, hanging your lights, um, baking cookies, um, even the music. Uh, the anticipation of what took place last week and the experience, the um, the overwhelming nature of, of the music, it can really capture your soul. And I love it. I appreciate Tad and the worship team and what they put together every week. But exceptional job last week. Uh, I will commend you. Today I wanted to look uh, with the thought of joy at the anticipation of, of Christmas for those in the Bible. Now, throughout all of the Old Testament, New Testament, there's a lot of times of anticipation of something to come. You know, what's going to take place and and, and how exciting it will be or how scary it might be. Because if you don't know, you're uncertain of what the outcome. Um, You you, you may have different uh, feelings about it. But the Bible's filled with people who had great anticipation of joy, especially the first Christmas. And what the, the underlying theme for today is, I want you to understand this. And if you've got a, a bulletin, you're taking notes. This first uh, point that I'll make is not really the first point. It's just the overall point is this. Joy can be found in what will be and not just what is. Sometimes we're waiting to have joy at some point when everything's been fulfilled. But joy actually doesn't have to wait until it's all been answered. You can have joy prior to the fulfillment. When you trust God that he's going to bring you what he believes is best. In the midst of of the uncertainty of your future, you can have joy. Genuine, authentic, heartfelt joy in the waiting until what is comes. And so I want you to see that in, in what takes place here in the scriptures in the Christmas story. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We'll look at Luke chapter 2. And then I'm going to take you all the way to the book of Hebrews in a little bit. But in, in Luke chapter 1, I want us to look down uh, down to verse 39. And I want to capture this this time period in Mary and Elizabeth's life. When, when Mary has uh, uh, been approached by Gabriel, she's going to be giving birth to the Savior. And then she takes off and, and sees Elizabeth, who's also giving birth uh, miraculously uh, for John the Baptist. And so I want us to see here and consider... Mary and Elizabeth and their anticipation of joy of what will be, not necessarily what is at the moment of this story. When you look down at verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, it says clearly, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. Just before that you see what's taking place, that, that Mary's interacting uh, with, uh, with the angel, Gabriel. You know, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, back in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And, and uh, in this, and this is the sixth month with her who is also barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. There's a trust here. And the angel departed from her. So what did Mary do immediately after having this encounter with Gabriel? Number one, she's overwhelmed, thinking, Okay, I, I, I'm i not married. I'm too young. And now I'm going to birth a baby. 
uh, out of miraculous means. And now I've just heard that Elizabeth is six months pregnant miraculously, uh, how God is working uh, his plan through this. And so she didn't hesitate at all. In those days, Mary arose quickly in haste. I'm going, as you see in verse 40, she entered the house of, of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I want to be there. There's an anticipation of joy what's coming. And I want you to notice how personal this, if you will, a confirmation that God is working in her life. Though she doesn't see the end result yet, she needs to understand God is working right now in her life and she needs a personal confirmation. After Gabriel's visit, she dropped everything immediately to go visit Elizabeth. Six months pregnant. She stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Until the birth of John the Baptist, certainly she was a help in this, but she's probably also learning and, and, and confirming what's taking place. During this time, Joseph was unaware of Mary's pregnancy, is my take on it, that as soon as Mary heard, she took off for three months. Joseph's not aware yet until later. And so Mary's being, being able to kind of process this whole new uh, position that she's in. Mary and Elizabeth were able to share the details of their remarkable stories together. Both of them had been um, uh, brought this news by the same angel. And Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah had this amazing encounter of a new direction for their life. And they had to have an anticipation of joy, trusting the Lord that he's going to fulfill something greater than they could ever imagine. And hearing Elizabeth's story gave Mary great confidence that it's going to be okay. It's not going to be just okay. It's going to be marvelous. Trust. The connection was confirmation of an anticipated joy. I want you to notice in verse 41 as it, the story continues to unfold. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Which by the way if you understand greetings in, in, the, in the Jewish culture that time. A greeting wasn't hey. How are you guys? Hey, let's go sit down and have something. A greeting was an extended time of really following up and connecting. They understood that greeting as, and it really could be days of greeting. We're not going to do anything until we reconnect. Because they didn't have mail and email and phone calls and, and, and voice chatting and all these things. When they're greeting, they have to catch up because they've not seen each other, heard from each other. They've got to share stories. And so they're, they're there. And this greeting is taking place as they're unpacking their, their story together. And while they're talking through all of that over the next couple of days, in the midst of their conversation, when they get to the point of understanding what has happened in Mary, it says the baby leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist, as we will know later, is in the womb and has... He is there and Elizabeth is there and hearing what's taking place with Mary in this greeting, the baby leaps. The Holy Spirit is, is overcoming this, this child that's not yet born, overcoming Elizabeth in the hearing of the news that the Messiah is coming. The promised Messiah from hundreds of years before is now going to be here in, in just a few months. There's a Physical confirmation that God is at move here. We, so we, we sit in a position of understanding the Christmas story. We know the whole thing. You've seen the movies. You've seen cartoon versions of it. You know, you've read the story. 
But put yourself in the sandals of these pregnant women who are encountering this for the first time. I'm too old to have a baby, Elizabeth says. Zechariah's past his prime, Elizabeth's past her prime, and now all of a sudden they're having a baby. And he's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. And then Mary ends up on their doorstep, and Mary comes in the house, and, and she hears Elizabeth's story about how yeah, uh, all this is taking place. And then Mary says, well, I had the same encounter with Gabriel. And he says, I'm going to have this child, and he's going to be the Son of God. And at the moment she hears that, and Elizabeth's thrilled. It's overwhelming. So much so the Holy Spirit impacts that baby who is the forerunner, the one who's going to proclaim that the Messiah is here. It's an amazing moment. This physical confirmation that God is at work bringing something far greater than they could ever imagine. The leap, I would say, is John the Baptist's first proclamation that this is the Messiah. Even before he could open his mouth, he was responding to the news that Jesus was coming. The joy began in the womb and set the tone for John's entire ministry and life. In John chapter 3, verse 29, uh, John the Baptist declared this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He said that as an adult. But the joy began while he was still in the womb. Because he could hear that the bridegroom is coming. The leap of confirmation here of anticipated joy. But I, I don't want you to miss this either. Unlike her unborn son, Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Spirit here. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry in verse 42. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. She didn't question it. She didn't deny it. She didn't look at Mary like she was crazy. She didn't say you're, you're a little uh, uh, bloated in your, in your enthusiasm. Uh, let's just wait and see. She immediately confirmed knowing that the prophetical messages from the past are even today. And, and might I even extend here. She is proclaiming the prophecies of, of God's fulfillment of his promised Messiah to come. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There not only is this this personal confirmation that God is doing something, not only is there a physical confirmation, there is also a prophetical confirmation right here. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord uh, should come to me? For behold, verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What a confirmation. Following that, Mary breaks out in song as she, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he is, but for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. At the fulfillment of John the Baptist being born. And the confirmation. Both personally. And physically and prophetically. Mary can go back and prepare. To interact with Joseph who she was betrothed to. To be married. And to go through her labor. With the birth of Christ. This was a more significant time period than just going to visit a relative for a few months. There was some confirmation of what God was doing. This was preparing to build an anticipation of joy because there was so much uncertainty in Mary's heart not knowing what's going to take place. But here she learned it's going to be marvelous. I want you to understand this declaration this, this confirmation of anticipated joy wasn't just in their story. I want you to now look over at, 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 at chapter 2. I mean, the great lesson here is that if we can experience joy in our lives today and not because of how things are now, but because of how things will be in the future when God intervenes, we can have far more joy in our lives. Elizabeth and her child were rejoicing. And now it's going to move over to another rejoicing. These shepherds. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. You might think it's, you know, it's a wonderful life. Or you might think it's, it's uh, White Christmas, which isn't a Christmas movie at all. Or Die Hard, that's not a Christmas movie either. Elf's probably in the top five. But Charlie Brown... His Christmas. In my office, I have a little bitty tree that has one little branch and it has a little red ball on it. Come by and see it today. I bring it out every Christmas to remind myself of the simplicity of Christmas. But if you've watched that show recently, I used to love growing up as a child and you had to turn on ABC you know, on a particular night, we didn't have pay-per-view or, or whatever. You, you, you just had to be there at the time to watch this story. And I watched that year after year. I didn't want to miss it. But if you watch it close enough, and we all love Charlie Brown perhaps and, and all the stuff. If you go to the beginning of the show and you don't miss it and just run to the end, you've got to understand what Charlie Brown said and Linus's response to Charlie. Might I remind you this morning what he said? You know, Charlie was struggling with the Christmas spirit, the sad little tree, and the commercialization. And it was his friend, Linus, who said, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. 
Maybe Lucy is right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you are the Charlie Browniest. He's not much different than a lot of people in our culture today. We have so much to be joyful for. So much to be excited about. We have a Savior. But even Christians can sometimes get into a season and unfortunately become Charlie Browns. Instead of celebrating the birth and the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we look at all the problems and that's what we focus on. We worry and we complain that things aren't perfect now. When in reality, our focus ought to be on the possibilities and the celebration of what is to come. The anticipation of joy. Maybe you're still waiting on God to do something in your life. Maybe you're still anticipating an answer to a desperate prayer you've had. The truth is, God's not yet done. And with Jesus, as Gabriel said to Mary, all things are possible with God. Don't wait to have joy in your life, even in the midst of your troubles and pains. Joy can be now when you know God hasn't yet completed his plan. So I want you to look at the shepherds. Starting in verse 8, I want you to notice these shepherds who nobody ever thinks of shepherds until you read the passage here. Because shepherds were some of the lowliest uh, class of people in all of Israel. They smelled funny. They they talked funny. They just didn't. I mean, if they wanted to hang out with people, they wouldn't have become a shepherd. They hung out with sheep who weren't the smartest creatures in the world. And I want you to see in verse 8... And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. It sounds like a fun Friday night to me. And then all of a sudden, something that had never taken place, something that grabbed their attention. They probably wondered if they were dreaming or they'd been drinking too much. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So the angel responds to them and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. You look like you're scared to death, but I didn't bring you bad news. I brought you good news of great joy. That will be for who? All people. I love this passage of scripture. Because when you look at here... Good news leads to great joy. When you get good news, if I said there's a billion dollars been set aside in your name, and when you turn X amount of age years old, 10 years from now, you get to have it. You might be dirt poor now, but you have great joy. It's going to be okay later on. When you know that something is coming, you get excited even though your circumstances may not show it. These shepherds are out in the field at night just doing their thing. This this angel comes and they're scared to death, but he confirms to them, listen, there's good news that's bringing great joy. And this good news is for all the people. The reason why the angel started to proclaim the goodness of God to the lowest is because they weren't going to be left out. God started there and then would proclaim to the rest of the world. Sometimes we think when, when a, a dignitary uh, comes or someone of great means or, or, or great position, they're going to obviously go to the best of all of the world. 
And God who made us all, who created us all, who, who brought life and breathed it into us, says, when I come with our, our Savior, I'm not going to have him born in the king's palaces. He's going to be born in a simple little major way off to the side. And I'm going to bring the news to the lowest of lows because most people would forget them once they heard the news. They would never consider that God would care for a lowly shepherd way out in the field in the middle of the night. Let's start there. If I'm going to bring joy to people, let me bring it to those who probably have very little joy. This is good news. And so you see the passage. One of the challenges of Christmas is we're so familiar with these things, but to put ourselves in these positions where these these shepherds are hearing something that nobody else is hearing. The, the baby's about to be born, and, and, and they get to hear it first. You know, in our day of of social media and news and all that, we can hear about things around the world within seconds of it happening. We're a little overwhelmed by how much we're hearing. You know, usually if something took place pretty, pretty catastrophic around the world, it may take months to get to people years ago. And now you can know about it and be worried about it within seconds of it happening. And here are these shepherds. We get to hear it first and nobody else. I want you to look at this. This good news leads to great joy. This news presented to the shepherds would give great anticipation of joy. Well, I wonder how this is going to unpack as they hear these words for the first time. And then he says in, in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And these Jewish shepherds. They would have known the stories and the prophecies. But here they're hearing it. It's coming. It would startle me. Not just have an angel speaking to me. But if you as a, as a Jewish child had grown up. And now you're an adult. And you've heard these things. That were prophesied hundreds. And even thousands of years before this. And you hear it. You'd have to stop and just go. What did he just say? Or, or, did he just say the Savior, the, the Son of David, the, the prophesied Messiah is born? It, we read this so fast, and we just assume that, yeah, obviously, Christ the Lord. That is a heavy meaning. I wonder how many shepherds and Pharisees and fishermen and tax collectors in the Jewish culture had actually forgotten about the prophetic message. I wonder how many of them began to just doubt it would ever take place. At best, may somebody within Israel rise up and overcome the Roman Empire. But, but, but the Messiah, have we been forgotten? It's, it, there's been silence from God for 400 years. And then to hear this prophetic message saying, it's being fulfilled now, I'm not sure I would have just grabbed onto it and said, yeah, well, obviously, We've been waiting. The calendar says it's now. Christmas, it's, it's coming up. None of that was taking place. They would have just been, huh, could it be? Let me go back in my mind and think about some of those Jewish Sunday school lessons. What did they say? What, what, was it Isaiah? Was it who, who, who prophesied? What, Micah or somewhere? What, what is it? These shepherds who were the least 
likely to hear anything and, and probably the, the least educated of all were presented with the truth that this good news is going to lead to joy. And then he's telling them here, they, the Savior is born. Well, how will they know? Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. Make it real simple. There's going to be a sign for you. Last week, briefly, we talked about a sign of the Old Testament and how we were going to know that the Savior was going to be here. Well, now they're getting a different sign, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's not typically where you go find the baby uh, that's just been born. But here, this is the sign. Go look for him. Make it very simple for these shepherds. You don't have to go back to your Old Testament to study it. You don't have to parse the, the Hebrew uh, and, and resurrect that in your life. Just go look for a baby wrapped in swallowing claws and lying in a manger. And what will they find there? In the city of David, a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. You would at least have your interest piqued, even if you weren't totally convinced. I'm not sure they were totally convinced. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But there was enough to go... You want to go? You can go see this thing. You think it's... Well, what else are we going to do? You may think I'm downplaying this, but I, as I begin to meditate upon this, what were these guys doing? You think they're the sharpest, the most elite Jewish scholars? They're just out there watching a bunch of sheep going, let's go look. Let's go see. What do we have to lose? Which I think there's a lot of people in our culture that they may not hear that, they, or they may hear that the, the Savior's been born and they go, hmm, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. But a, a mere invitation to come take a look? Are you curious enough to at least investigate? Are you willing to, to take in perhaps what's been proclaimed to you? This sign was leading to a savior. And how many in our culture today are desperate to be saved from the difficulties of their life? And perhaps be redeemed and forgiven of all the sins they carry around like baggage and they can no longer go on. And how many of us, like an angel, will go tell them there's been a savior been born? Would you come take a look? You may not know a lot of theology. You may not know a lot of uh, the prophecies. You may not understand all of the ramifications of this child that was born in Bethlehem in a tiny manger. But here's the sign. Would you go look and see what I'm talking about? The sign leads to the Savior. Well, verse 13, he goes on and suddenly there was with the with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels then went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I think the confirmation of more angels showing up and... and Old phrases here. Glory to God in the highest and, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I can just imagine right then the angel or the shepherd sitting there and going, Did those angels just say that God is pleased with us that we get to hear about this? He's pleased enough to introduce us to something greater than we can fully comprehend. Let's go. I want you to see what happens now. And, and, and with 
And, with, uh, and, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph. And the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. I mean, they went to, we were just out there in the field. All of a sudden, this angel comes up. He says this thing to us. We had to come look. And what all who had heard it wondered at the, uh, what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned back to the field. And what did they do? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This was a life-transforming moment for the, for the shepherds. The angel invited them to see something and to hear about something they weren't prepared for that night. And I think about that anticipation of joy. When they were introduced to it, they were like, well, could it be that the Savior, that this we got to go. And they're excited enough to go check it out. And when they encounter this baby and they explain it, they leave differently from that manger than they came. They were then glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. One of the, uh, my personal beliefs, there's a lot of people, if they were just introduced to Christ, if they were invited to see Christ for who he is, if they were shown the scriptures in time through the work of the Holy Spirit, they will begin to glorify and praise God. The, the problem is, not many people are inviting them to see it. It says here, they were praising and glorifying God for what they had heard and seen. And I'm not sure our world is hearing and seeing enough from the believers that do follow Christ. There's no anticipation of joy because they have no idea what they're to be anticipating and where the joy comes from. Might I compel you this Christmas season not to be silent, but to jump out there and proclaim the goodness of God through the birth of our Savior. I want you to flip to Hebrews chapter 12 if you have it there. There's an anticipation of joy. And Mary and, and Elizabeth, before it all came, they began to get joyful. These, these shepherds were encountering uh, something with the, uh, the angel, and they anticipated finding something. Not sure, but it sounded hopeful, and they came away different. I want you to find, uh, see one other place in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1. In verse 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we live our life? It has to go back to the foundation of considering Jesus and how he lived his life prior to the death and resurrection. It says here, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's that word again, the joy of Jesus began even before his birth. 
The reason he was born, the reason we celebrate this season, the reason we can run with endurance is because we look back to Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How could Christ have joy in the midst of a painful life to take on the sin and the penalty of all people who would trust in him? How could he face a death penalty he did not deserve. Because he knew if he did it, the joy came not in the present moment. It came because what he knew was coming. Go back to my first statement. Joy can be found in what will be and not just what is. How does a believer today live in a terrifying world? How do we live in the difficulties of our families? How do we make it through every day and say, you know, isn't just better just throw in the towel? I think when we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, where does your faith come from? Something you work up? Or is it a person you trust? He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So therefore, if he can have joy knowing that enduring the cross and despising the shame would give us salvation... How much more can we have joy in our circumstance? Because God's still bringing a fullness of salvation in our lives. There's a justification. There's a sanctification, a working of the holiness. And there's a glorification. How many of you believe if you trust in Christ, you'll be glorified in heaven one day? Absolutely. How can I live in the difficulties of today? Because I know this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I'm walking in step with the Spirit, trusting Him to sustain me, even when there are things I don't understand. Even when pains happen, I'm like, God, why did you allow me to go through that? Even Jesus, the night before He was crucified, you know, and He's bleeding out of His, I mean, sweating blood drops. He's like, if this cup can be passed from me. But then we said, but not my will, your will be done, because God's will is always greater than our present desires our temporary needs why do we go through things i can't answer that other than god is sovereign but he hasn't forsaken he is a savior that will sustain you the author and perfecter of our faith had joy even to endure the cross and the shame that was coming with it because he knew on the other side Men and women and boys and girls like we saw up here can be saved for eternity. And there is a day coming when there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Only celebration when we see the author and perfecter of our faith face to face. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because it's cute and sentimental? No, because our Savior came to save our souls. And to sustain us in this life that was impossible without his grace. Embrace him. Share him. And tell some shepherds, the lowliest of this society, that there's hope and joy in Christ. Let's pray together. Sometimes we get so confused that we believe we must feel joy before we can have joy. Father, I pray that you would teach us 
to have joy in trusting in you. I can't imagine Jesus saying, oh, I feel a lot of joy when he was being whipped with a cat of nine tails on his back, ripping every ounce of flesh. I can't imagine Jesus saying, I'm feeling joy when the nails are, are, are piercing his, his hands and his feet. It wasn't about the feeling. It was about the facts that his death would save thousands, if not millions of people who would trust in him. Father, I pray that you would help us overcome our feelings when we don't feel joyful and help us to know truth by being renewed in our mind what is true, what is praiseworthy, what is right. Let joy be the feeling that follows our right thinking and our right actions. When we don't feel much joy this season, let us be reminded Of the love you have for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That we can trust in the son who will sustain us. We'll trust in the son who who will wrap his arms around us and love us. That he can bring healing to relationships. He can bring healing to our bodies. But ultimately, he brings healing to our sinful souls. So that we can be saints with him in heaven. And I pray today we'd be embraced by truth. And act upon that truth. Let us not sit in a seat of depression and defeat. Let us be filled by your Holy Spirit. That we may leap like a John the Baptist. And say yes to Jesus. And let us be eager to proclaim and share that eternal truth with all those who are apart from him. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.